Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I am your host, Tim Silverwood. Now, the date of this podcast being released is the 9th of September 2020, which means we are two weeks into the six-week application window for the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2020. You have until the 5th of October 2020 to get your applications in. So this is it, folks. This is the opportunity for startups and businesses who are working to create a positive impact on the ocean. Get your applications in now. It's a very simple process. Make sure you share this opportunity around because there's $160,000 worth of support for the finalists and the runners-up, and that's provided by our PitchFest partner network. There's a $15,000 cash prize from our presenting partner, Bank Australia, for the ultimate winner, and you will join our ecosystem, which is all about trying to take your great idea to the world. So, applications close on the 5th of October. Winners will be announced on the 4th of November 2020. Get your applications in. Now, our guest on the podcast today is Joe Kelly, who is the CEO of the Australian Seaweed Institute. And just this week, they have released, in conjunction with AgriFutures, a blueprint for the future of the Australian seaweed industry. So, seaweed, who doesn't love the opportunities around this incredible sector to not only draw down carbon from our atmosphere and oceans, but create new food sources and pharmaceuticals to embed and input into livestock feed to reduce methane. The opportunities are huge and abundant. But surprisingly, in Australia, the current seaweed industry is only valued at $3 million in the gross value of production, but this blueprint shows that by 2025, that could be $100 million. And with the right support and investment, by 2040, it can be a $1.5 billion industry. So if you love seaweed and you love the opportunities of creating an abundant and sustainable ocean by using this incredible array, thousands of different species of seaweed that exist here in Australia, then this is a podcast for you. If you like this episode, share it around. Why not rate the podcast? Tell people about it. The more support and the more listeners we have, the more of these stories we can bring you. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm very pleased to have on the Ocean Impact podcast today, Joe Kelly, who is the CEO of the Australian Seaweed Institute. How are you, Joe? Hi, Tim. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, really pleased to have you on. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started the recording about what it's like to sort of be a, a pioneer in this, uh, in this emerging space around opportunities in the blue economy and the sustainable ocean economy. And you are really doing this pioneering for, for seaweed. Tell us a little bit about what it is you're doing with the Australian Seaweed Institute and in particular why you have chosen to do this. Okay, well, my journey into seaweed started about two and a half years ago now, and um, it sort of came off the back of uh, my career to date has been in environmental engineering in water and wastewater. So I started out um, with that sort of bent on 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 um, my career, but then moved into management consulting, and my last corporate gig was at um, Australian Ethical Investments. And so what I sort of realised at that point is that, you know, the power of money to really change things um, and how do we get more money and more capital into um, the right things, the, the industries of the future that are going to do the right thing by people and the planet. And that's what I loved about Australian Ethical's approach. Um, and what, what sort of became apparent is that in Australia there's a, actually a shortage of, you know, investable things that are doing the right things by people and the planet. Um, and that kind of led me on a path to say, well, where are the industries of the future? Um, what should they look like? Um, and how do I play a role in helping to really stimulate that sort of new economy that we need desperately? 
Um, and that kind of led me down a path into discovering seaweed and all the amazing things it does, you know, for ocean health, as well as providing sort of regional jobs and being a, a um, economically viable um, crop as well. So that, that sort of ticked all the boxes in terms of, you know, really fitting with that model of um, being an industry that could create this regenerative economy that we want to see here in Australia. Um, so that's that's kind of how I started and came to it and and through that process realized that you know I needed to set up sort of a, a peak body of sorts that could act as kind of the um, catalyst to try and help all of the people around Australia that are working on small projects and, and trying to get seaweed up and running um, and the the latest piece of work that we've done is to really pull together uh, all of the information into what we're calling the Australian Seaweed Industry Blueprint, uh, which maps out the benefit and the opportunity of a seaweed industry for Australia and the pathway to get there. Awesome. Because I think many people, particularly in this last few years, have had their eyes opened up to the incredible opportunities around seaweed, not just for, like you said before, jobs and economic growth and regional development, but of course for the positive environmental impacts as well. So why don't you give us a little bit of a taste then of, of what you've been able to uncover as a result of going in to develop this, uh, this national blueprint? Mm. Yeah, well, we've involved all of the stakeholders around Australia who are doing anything with seaweed at the moment. So we've had, a, you know, close to 50 people provide input into the blueprint so far. Um, the things, the key things that are happening at the moment in Australia are um, we've had a couple of land-based facilities that are, are growing seaweed in ponds, and that's mainly to treat wastewater. So um, there's a great facility in northern Queensland um, that is a prawn farm, and what they do is they use seaweed ponds to actually treat that water, that prawn wastewater, um, so that they can discharge it into the Great Barrier Reef catchments. Um, and seaweed does a good enough job of stripping out all of those nutrients to um, meet the environmental standards that they need to up there. Plus, it, it's then a product that they turn into a biofertiliser um, and apply to some of the cane fields and things up in central Queensland. So that's that's sort of been one major um project that's that's demonstrating the power of seaweed um, there's also you know some uh, seaweed being grown for human health and nutrition purposes and that's co-joined with a um, food manufacturing plant in New South Wales um, and they're producing um, uh, an ulva which is a sea lettuce um, and and that's being added to products mainly for the iodine levels that it can bring so that's sort of on land there's been very little in the ocean and that's really where we need to go in terms of creating a scalable industry that can deliver sort of the environmental impact and, the, and support ocean health as much as we'd like it to. So some starting points with seaweed um, are mainly in Tasmania and South Australia, where we're starting to see um, some seaweed ocean farms established down there. Um, Tasmania's been doing a lot of work around the kelp um, forest restoration, which is great, um, and looking at how that seaweed can then be um, used for other purposes as well. So we're just starting to see the first ocean farms at the moment, um, but that's certainly the big area where we need to go in the future. Yeah, so if we were to look at then, I suppose, the industry globally, you just recognise there that there's great opportunities around on land and looking at some of those bioremediation um, projects that also grow produce for human consumption and fertiliser. But mm. the opportunities really are about going into the ocean. And is that what we see globally? Like when we look at the global you know, $16 billion Australian, um, Australian dollar industry globally, is it mostly built around those ocean systems? Yeah, so um, it, it is largely built around that. So the predominant um, cultivation areas are in China, Japan, South Korea, um, as well as Indonesia. 
Um, and so they are all, you know, based on large scale ocean farms. Um, and then we're seeing Europe really come online now with um, establishing ocean farms as well, and even doing some great stuff where they're looking at integrating it with um, offshore wind facilities and having seaweed ocean farms around those offshore wind facilities too. Um, the States, the US is also getting into it. So off the coast of Maine, there's quite a lively um, seaweed community going on there. Um, so we're starting to see some of those, some of the, I guess, Western countries starting to embrace seaweed as a, as a serious industry going forward. And that's what we'd like to see happen in Australia too. Yeah, I guess everyone can, even if they don't, either they're learning about this for the first time on the podcast today, they can just imagine, right, Australia is an island nation and we've got so much accessibility to these large estuaries and to uh, coastal areas that I'm sure are going to be ripe for opportunity. Mm, I'm just imagining yeah. everyone you know, who maybe has seen 2040 or has listened to Professor Tim Flannery talking about the opportunities to, you know, use these ocean arrays to draw down vast amounts of carbon. So what are yeah. some of the things that you really think um, are standing out from the blueprint that are, you know, challenges in order for us to get to this end goal? Because I believe you were sort of initially projecting that this could be a, a billion dollar industry by 2040 but um in the new report you may have made a, a revision onto that number yeah so we're now estimating it can be a 1.5 billion dollar industry by 2040 for australia and that's kind of a conservative estimate um, on a number of levels I guess the, the biggest and most exciting opportunity we're seeing at the moment is with the asparagopsis seaweed that reduces methane emission in cattle. Um, and that, you know, the, the, the carbon reduction benefits that that would have for Australia is, you know, around about 10% of our um, carbon emissions come from enteric fermentation, which means, you know, the, the burping predominantly from um, cattle. So that's a really exciting opportunity. But you asked about the barriers. And I think, um, you know, we've outlined in the report about 10 of those. But if I just sort of pick the top two, I guess, you know, really what we haven't done before because we haven't had an industry established here is we don't have seaweed embraced in um, the aquaculture strategy in any states or federally um, at all. So that's something that we need to sort of move on quite quickly. The other thing is that the, the process of obtaining lease areas for seaweed aquaculture is really challenging. Um, again, because it hasn't been done before and we don't necessarily have the people in government yet, the skills and capabilities that understand um, seaweed yet. Um, so it's sort of a bit chicken and egg in terms of until we've got a few more up and running, that will be a bit of a learning curve, a steep learning curve. Um, and so government processes are really challenging. Um, and the other thing is, you know, just proving the markets. So I hear a lot from people is that, you know, where are the markets? We haven't proven the markets. Well, again, it's a bit chicken and egg with we know globally there are many markets for seaweed. Um, across a whole spectrum of products and actually what we need to do is start testing some of those and then refining you know what it is that that works for Australian seaweed products. I was uh, really impressed and amazed I suppose in the in the report when I found out that we are currently Australia a net importer of seaweed mm -hmm. products so here we are we've got this incredible abundant opportunity but we're actually a net importer at the moment. So uh, yeah. definitely some strategies there around how we can start to, you know, draw down on those imports and start to produce more in Australia as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, so predominantly, you know, we're importing around $40 million a year of seaweed products. Um, the majority of that is for human consumption. So in the food seaweeds um, and probably, although we don't have the, accurate information on that but I would say that it's mostly nori products um, that are going into our sushi rolls that we're predominantly <laughs> importing. Um, so there's certainly a lot of opportunity to look at how we can start to replace some of the domestic consumption but also grow the domestic consumption because 
Seaweed is fantastically high in, in nutrients and minerals, um, a great source of iodine, and we know that we have a lot of people with thyroid issues in Australia and, and a shortage of iodine um, is a key problem in that, in that respect. So, you know, we've, there's a lot of reasons why we should be eating more seaweeds as well. Um, and we have, you know, some of the cleanest waters uh, in Australia, comp certainly comparatively to the rest of the world where we can grow this stuff. And we have thousands of native seaweed species here, some of which we haven't even, most of which we haven't even looked at yet. So, you know, there's sort of this whole, um, yes, there's some existing markets that we can plug into where there's some species of seaweeds that we can grow here um, that can replace some of those products. But there's also this whole area of biodiscovery and bioinnovation for new products that we can create too. And so that's going to be a major thrust of the industry going forward. Do you mind talking a little bit about asparagopsis? Because I suppose this is the one at the moment. Not only does it stand out in the report as the, the biggest financial opportunity and the biggest opportunity to prevent carbon emissions, um, but it's also... Uh, a native species to Australia. So a lot of interest from around the world to see what we can do with it and whether we can create enough supply yeah. to meet the demand, not only for Australia, but elsewhere. Um, but I'd also wonder as well, if you um, were familiar enough with the actual process that happens inside livestock that um, causes it to prevent such a huge uh, amount of emissions. It's something like 99% of methane emissions can be prevented by adding only 2% to their to the feedstock? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a range of studies that have looked at different sort of dosing levels and come up with different sorts of results, but it's staggering in terms of the, the reduction that it can have. Um, you know, no, I don't understand enough about the, it, the role it plays in the digestion process, but um, it, it does something that enables it to reduce that production obviously of methane whilst the cow is digesting its food so it's only an additive it's not a replacement food product which um, means that you know we don't it's not going to need to be produced on the same sort of scale as the, the grain and the grass and whatever it's simply an additive and so that still requires a vast area of ocean to actually cultivate um, this seaweed in enough quantity, even to feed, you know, a percentage of Australia's herd. Um, and, you know, we'd like to think that we could eventually become an exporter uh, to other parts of the world as well, where we can sell this product. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's still some work to be done to, uh, to get to that point of where we're sort of commercially productive. Um, but there's a number of groups around Australia at the moment who are making great inroads in that area. Um, and, and I reckon in the next 12 months, we're going to start to see some really exciting sort of commercial quantities starting to be produced, which will be great. Um, we've just seen, I think it was in the Australian Financial Review last week and, and Future Feed, which is the CSIRO spin-out company that owns the IP the globally, um, and we've seen some exciting investors come into that space to, to get involved in really boosting um, how this comes to market. So, you know, um, we've got a lot of, we've still got a lot of work to do as an industry to make sure that that sort of, that we remove all the barriers and that we can get this happening as quickly as possible. But, you know, we've got a lot of support from um, the agricultural sector as well, because they're keen on looking for how to, you know, minimise their environmental impact um, and really asparagopsis seaweed offers the most viable solution for massively reducing their environmental footprint so um, with that in mind we've got some great collaborations coming through and, and um, that will be really interesting space to watch over the next 12 months or so I just love it so back to your point there about this sort of bio discovery element I mean who would have thought that a little native Australian seaweed, little red funny looking thing, yeah. when extracted from the ocean or when farmed and dried and added to a, a livestock supplement could have this profound impact? It really yeah. just surprised me and just, I suppose, lends us to understand that the ocean is just full of new discoveries and new opportunities if we focus our lens in the right way. Yeah, 
Absolutely. You know, the other interesting biodiscovery elements that are coming out um, are around some of the elements or, or um, uh, bioactives in seaweed that are good for your gut, um, that are good for wound healing, that have um, can be used in fibres as antimicrobial or antifire retardant properties. Um, bioplastics, production of different sorts of bioplastics from seaweed. So there's a lot of scope, you know, from all the way from sort of um, nutraceutical kind of applications for human health and nutrition through to, you know, animal feed, biofertilizers and fiber and, and um, bioplastics as well. So it's, you know, it's a hugely versatile material. And as I said earlier, we don't know the half of it. So most of the species of seaweeds in Australia have not been analysed beyond, you know, being identified. Um, we don't know their, their, their chemical properties um, and what they might be useful for in the future. So this is a huge part of the industry going forward and the R&D plan. Yeah, we might come back and talk about some of those products and, and markets a bit further later on. But hmm. I guess maybe is now a good time just to sort of then say, okay, you've gone and created this blueprint, you've done an incredible amount of work, and it's obviously going to come out with some key recommendations and findings. Do you want to sort of tell us a little bit about how this blueprint is going to, um, you know, enter the stakeholder groups and be discussed and what you're hoping to see as a result of the work that you've been doing? Hmm. Yeah, so the blueprint will be published in uh, September and we will be looking at really running a lot of briefing sessions with both key, some key state governments that are, are likely to be kind of the first states that are going to have significant seaweed industries, but also federally with the Australian government. Um, we believe that the seaweed industry is part of, can be part of Australia's economic recovery strategy post-COVID um, because it creates, you know, regional jobs and, and economic development, as well as, you know, providing some environmental benefits and future-proofing us. So, um, you know, it's a really important part of that strategy and we'd like to see it integrated into that economic recovery plan. The other area where we're getting it incorporated into as well is the um, Beyond Zero Emissions Million Dollar Jobs Plan. Um, so that's a, a platform um, where they're looking at how renewable regenerative um, projects and industries in Australia can offer us a way out um, in a big way uh, in terms of creating jobs. So we're, we're integrated into that strategy as well. Um, you know, we really need to get seaweed embraced as uh, an industry of the future and as a, as a key aquaculture sector predominantly for Australia to grow over the next 10 years. Um, you know, all going according to the projections, with we're anticipating it'll be at least a $100 million gross value of production um, in five years' time. And that would put it as our third largest aquaculture industry in Australia following um, salmon and tuna. So it's a huge opportunity here uh, for us to do something new and innovative. Um, and the biodiscovery element is really just amplifies that. So the new opportunities that we discover can only be the, will be the upside of, of that industry. So this is just based on existing projects and projections um, and conservative estimates on, you know, price and volumes and that kind of thing over the next five years. But it's, um, it's a huge growth trajectory that we, we're seeing here. Yeah, so like you said, I mean, $100 million by 2025, 1,200 direct jobs leading to 3% reduction in emissions. And assuming that all goes well, then it really just ramps up towards some of those projections for, for 2040, which like we said before, $1.5 billion, um, up to 9,000 jobs. So what do you need? Uh, what are you looking for really specifically in this next phase to, to make you able to do your best work and really galvanize this ecosystem yeah well we really need to create an industry group that's properly funded so we're looking to some of the federal government um, bodies to fund that going forward so agrifutures which is australia's rural research and development corporation have funded the production of the blueprint 
footprint and the, the work that's been done there. Um, and so they are likely to support us going forward in terms of, you know, understanding that this is a growth area and that we need a, an industry body essentially to help drive this forward and help to start really clearing those barriers so that all of the people around Australia who are working on seaweed projects have a clear run at getting us to the 100 million um, by 2025. So we're asking for funding from federal government to actually support that. Um, and there's a number of pieces of work, including sort of regulatory framework reviews and policy recommendations around how to streamline that ocean lease um, application process, um, get more of those approved more quickly. Um, but also, you know, some of the work that we need to do around um, getting up, getting our talent and skills up. So it's it's a bit tricky without having an industry here. We haven't got a lot of um, seaweed scientists. We haven't got a lot of people with um, experience in ocean cultivation of seaweeds. So we're looking at, you know, to see if we can establish some international partnerships and obviously leverage particularly some of our, um, our Asian neighbours that are highly experienced in this area and how can we, you know, work together to help us grow an industry down here. So there's some of the sort of things that we're looking to, to the government to help fund so that we can get this industry really accelerated. Yeah, good one. And again, some other sort of stats um, coming out of the report is just looking at the you know relatively small number of full-time equivalent jobs that are currently in the sector, and you know yeah. a significant number, portion of those obviously in that um, research and development um, side of things. But yeah, absolutely, we've got all these neighbours to our north, like you mentioned before, Indonesia, Philippines, big producers of this, and they could certainly lend some skills and expertise, I'm sure, to help us grow our sector. I wonder if I could just dive a little bit more into into you. I mean, you mentioned before this was a bit of a, a revelation two and a half years ago when you were working in the sector and in the impact sector and realising there's just not enough investable opportunities and you've come out all fired up to galvanise this ecosystem. What is it like? I mean, you're a, you're a new kid on the block with a big vision. I wonder if you wouldn't, give it, wouldn't mind giving us a little glimpse at uh, what that's been like for you. Oh... It's a roller coaster, um, but an exciting, you know, an exciting purpose-driven one. So, I, you know, I always come back to that sort of touchstone that this this is about making a difference. This is about doing something that's going to lead to a more regenerative future for Australia. And so, you know, I've had I've had lots of um, great plans, and some of those haven't gone anywhere near how I've had them planned out on paper um, but you know it's the opportunities that have arisen through that process I guess you know it's sort of taken me to to talk to people and to understand things in a different way that I didn't have before so I think it's a a voyage of discovery really every day in terms of you know where can we where can we add the value um, it's certainly I find um, as a, as a woman in the talking to people in the aquaculture and fisheries sector, I think that's a challenging area. I think it's predominantly male dominated. Um, I think it's, it's uh, a bit outdated in terms of the focus and approach that we've got in Australia on. We think we can just keep doing the same old things um, and that, you know, they'll keep yielding or even though we know, you know, some of our, fish stocks and things are in decline. Um, you know, we, we should read the writing on the wall that that um, we should look for sustainable foods, um, vegan foods, uh, you know, that sort of thing that we can actually grow and, and future-proof Australia with. So that, that's been challenging in terms of just coming up sort of against, I guess, some of the old ways of thinking and, and particularly in the aquaculture sector where there's existing sort of um, leases and, and all of that in place, that there's an entitlement complex there that, you know, people have always had stuff the way they've always had stuff. So really... You know, it's challenging, as you would know, trying to do something new and innovative, especially communicate something that's more about impact than about the back pocket. Um, I sort of certainly derive, personally derive a lot of energy and um, purpose out of, out of that. Uh, but trying to bring, you know, 
other people along on that journey who who maybe have a different mindset is continuously sort of a challenge. So I guess you know um, I, I just see the opportunities for Australia to you know keep changing its course and I think it's going to be through people like us that have the will and ambition to do things differently that are going to slowly slowly chip away and push us in that direction. Yeah this brings um, you know, what came up for me there is just that realization of the people that are going to you know hold you back and be a resistance that they're probably always going to be there but it just means that you get so much more attracted to those people who who get what it is that you're trying to do and are there to give you as much support and a bit of a leg up as possible because yeah, the detractors can just be absolute energy vampires if you're not too careful. Yeah, that's true. I wish I had known that beforehand. <laughs> I think people that, you know, obviously know you and are listening into this, you know, we, we just are so appreciative that you have taken this ginormous challenge um, upon yourself and with your teams and your support network, because as you said, you can know and see that the way we're doing things now is not going to be the way we're doing them in 2025 or 2040. And so just sit there and watch it, uh, you know, not moving and not adapting would just be infuriating. So you just have to overcome those obstacles to help it get to where it wants to go. Mm, yeah. Is that then a good discussion uh, or a good segue into this idea of, of innovation? And obviously, you know, you mentioned in the report where the greatest impact can happen as quickly as possible. And that's going to be in, in building out those massive opportunities like around um, asparagopsis and, yeah. you know, bioremediation and some other areas. But what are you sort of seeing, I suppose, at the other end of the spectrum, the, the early stage innovators and the ideation um, community like what are they coming up with as they start to go oh my gosh there's a one and a half billion dollar industry on my doorstep what can I do to get involved because this is obviously where um, you know OIO loves to be able to have both those early to later stage startups but we love the ideas people as well yeah well I think there's two sides to this so we're very much trying to position the seaweed industry as not just an aquaculture sector, but a biotechnology sector as well because of the end uses and the products that can come out of seaweed. So on, on both of those sides, there's some exciting innovation um, that's happening and, and that we'll see really over the next five years at, at pace. Um, if I talk about the aquaculture side, there's a whole lot of um, innovation going on around the engineering and design of ocean facilities, um, you know, the Blue Economy CRC that's operating out down in, um, out of Tasmania, they're really looking really far out at offshore platforms that would have integrated food, um, energy and carbon sequestration capabilities. So I think that's a really exciting space. So that sort of engineering space, you know, the automatic harvesting, the um, remote remote monitoring and sensing. Um, you've got the Climate Foundation um, who are working with you on aquaculture and Intrepid Foundation and was uh, part of Damon's 2040 movie, looking at, you know, some uh, upwelling techniques for how do you, how can you grow seaweed in areas where there's low nutrient levels. Um, so that's really exciting technology. Um, so that sort of, you know, and, and really for a high cost, high labour country like Australia, we do need to have a lot of that automation and tech around the aquaculture space. So, so that's really exciting. And, and, and the good part about that is some of that tech can apply regardless of what, aquacu what aquaculture crop or species you're growing. So there's a lot of interesting work in that space. The, um, the other area is around the biotechnology and the biodiscovery. So looking at um, Australian seaweeds and looking at, you know, what their profiles are and what their bioactive um, components might be and what we might be able to do with them. We've, um, I'm part of a, a group that submitted a bid to the federal government for um, a Marine Bioproducts Cooperative Research Centre. So we're really hoping that that gets approved this year because that would give um, the industry a 10-year matched R&D funding um, to really accelerate looking at all of the seaweeds that we can possibly, um, you know, should possibly invest in and what their bioproducts, useful bioproducts would be. 
another, some of the innovation around there is also um, what's called biorefinery process. So how can you put sort of a soup of seaweed into um, a biorefinery process and sort of fraction off different um, valuable compounds, um, whether they be sort of the, the oils, um, as well as then having, you know, some of the leftover products for fertilizer or animal feeds. Um, but how can you get more than one product out of a seaweed? So if there's a valuable molecule that might be good for um, a cosmetic product or a, a nutraceutical product of some sort, then what can we do with the rest? Um, so, so that's really interesting. And there's a there's a pilot facility in Mackay in Queensland, um, and there's a pro we're kicking off a project with QUT to start to look at um, some of the opportunities for biofabrics um, out of that. And and the way we're looking at that is that you know the that's potentially a lower value product. So where are there opportunities to take a high value molecule out, but then be left with something that you could make a bioplastic or a biofabric out of. So there's sort of the, some innovations that are coming along. There's all sorts of drug discovery um, out, you know, we've heard out of coral reefs as well as out of, um, as well as out of seaweeds as well, and as out of microalgaes. So that whole sort of biotech area is really exciting space in terms of what we might be able to do with some of the seaweeds that we um, are able to, to grow at scale. Fantastic, and yeah, best of luck with that bid for the, for the new CRC. Do you have any thoughts on, on where that would be located? Um, yeah, so that's South Australia are the, the leaders of that. There's um, research partners all around Australia um, as well. So, you know, it's really looking at, um, at how can we actually look at, and it's microalgae as well as macroalgae, that CRC bid, but how can we accelerate those two industries, which the, both of those plants, plants might not be the right word for microalgae, but both of those organisms um, are able to remediate wastewater as well as um, to produce valuable bioproducts and to provide sustainable food um, sources as well. I love um, you know, this sort of realisation that um, obviously there's opportunities all around Australia and you mentioned before there's great um, centres in North Queensland, there's those historic ones in South Australia and Tasmania. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sort of talking to this idea of, of social licence. It sounds like Australians have potentially got a long way to go in terms of adopting seaweed maybe into their diet or thinking about the multitude of applications that it could have um, in their lives. But there's also probably a big conversation about social licence in terms of, you know, whether it's going to be coastal uh, aquaculture okay. or offshore or wild harvesting. Where are we at with that part of the conversation? Yeah. Uh, only just beginning, I think. Um, so, you know, look, we can see what's happened in the salmon industry um, down south, uh, but that's very different in terms of seaweed. You, seaweed cultivation doesn't require anything to be added to it. So there's no feed, there's no fertiliser, and there's no waste from the seaweed product. So it's a completely different proposition to some of the challenges or objections we've seen to other types of aquaculture, particularly around sort of intensive fish farming and that kind of thing. Seaweed doesn't have the same environmental impacts. In fact, it has positive um, impacts on water quality in terms of taking nitrogen and phosphorus out and carbon dioxide out. So it can reduce the problems we've got with acidity um, and pollution based on, you know, over having too many nutrients in the water. So, you know, as well as provide habitat for fisheries resources as well while it's growing. So, you know, seaweed really has a lot more positives. We've got um, support internationally from the Nature Conservancy and um, Worldwide Fund for Nature in terms of, you know, supporting seaweed as an aquaculture industry that's got positive environmental outcomes. So from that perspective, you know, we don't have the environmental concerns. And I just saw a study that had come out from AgriFutures and FRDC, which is the Fisheries Research and Development Corporation, where they've looked at the elements of social license and the, the largest component was the environmental impact. So we really need to be clearly communicating what the environmental um, benefits are, but also in terms of operating those farms, 
that needs to be done responsibly and sustainably as well. So that process and, and sort of um, best practice needs to be established here for Australia and what we want to see. So, you know, we'll need to closely manage and monitor these things over the next, um, well, over the lifetime, obviously, but certainly get get that practice going um, in the short term as well to, to prove that it's um, environmentally responsible, responsible industry. Um, so, so I guess that's a key thing in terms of communicating to the public um, about the benefits of seaweed. I think then, you know, you've still got a fraction um, of people that don't want to see anything happen. So, you know, uh, we've certainly had that problem here in Queensland with applying for some licenses, um, an ocean farm lease and um, people with million dollar properties are concerned about the impact on their views and um, raising questions about, you know, can't we just leave it as is um, so that we can sort of look at it. I think, you know, we're sort of beyond that. And I think, you know, you're seeing with things like the Great Barrier Reef as well, we're starting to see a trend towards actual intervention. Um, so, you know, where can we employ ecological solutions to help us mitigate some of the water quality and other problems that we've got, environmental problems that we've got? So, um, you know, there is much more of an appetite from the scientific community around, you know, intervening because. We're we've kind of got to the point where we've realised if we just try and leave it and hopefully it recovers itself, that that's, we've sort of left it too late for that to happen. Um, so, you know, I think that's an ongoing concern with, or an ongoing challenge really with, and look, it really has been, in, in my experience up here in Queensland, it really has been the older generation that are retired and um, don't really, may not really care about, you know, the job creation piece um, and just want to sort of, sort of sit on the sit on the waterfront and enjoy their view. Um, and I guess I, I think that's short-sighted in terms of understanding the scale of the environmental problems that we've got to solve, the scale of the job creation problems that we've got to solve, the scale of the sustainable food production problems that we've got to solve, you know, in the years that they will no longer be with us. So we really do need to, I guess, be getting people to think much longer term in terms of, you know, how we're establishing Australia to, to, really support us into the future um, and how we're doing things in a balanced way. So, you know, as I said, using those um, natural climate solutions that can, can tick multiple boxes by, you know, protecting ocean health as well as providing sustainable food and sustainable jobs, you know, and seaweed does all of those things. This makes me, yeah, realise again just the importance of really compelling communications and media around this too. And I think we we have to look at the, the positives here because you, like we've been saying in the last few years, attention and awareness and the appetite to uh, harness the power of seaweed to, to clean our oceans, to create new economic opportunities and jobs um, and feed humanity, it's, it's, going, it's going up, right? So as long yeah. as we keep telling the story and building that narrative, then hopefully that can start to override some of those, um, that resistance that you may, may be seeing out there. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. And I, that's certainly a, a key part of the industry group formation and the work that needs to be done to support the industry overall um, is, is communicating that and telling that story and making sure that there is public support for these things, um, you know, and that we do manage things in an ongoing responsible way rather than just sort of resting on the laurels that it is good for the environment. You know, obviously we need to keep that up as well. So, um, but yes, I think the, the challenge with um, public consultation on ocean farms is difficult and, and obviously it would be nicer to go further offshore for, for everybody, but, you know, realising that that is not the easiest place to start. Um, until we've got the skills and capability and the technology to do that, um, you know, that's always going to be this stepping stone we need to go nearer shore to get there. Yeah. And I just think about projects like, you know, Operation Crayweed in Sydney where, you know, obviously there's a great deal of effort being um, invested in restoring habitat. So not only are we talking about, you know, creating whole new 
opportunities around large-scale production, there's also that whole other part about, well, we don't even probably realise fully what we've lost in recent times. So there's just that bringing those uh, natural systems back up to baseline to maintain a healthy ocean. And then you've got the opportunities well and truly beyond that in terms of um, being able to grow um, massive quantities for all these other markets we spoke about. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, I think we can um, start to, to wind things up. It's been a lovely conversation and I'm just so thrilled to, um, to have you forging this ecosystem. I love that little insight earlier about just how hard it has been for you. Um, I wouldn't mind just sort of passing it over to you now for some, some thoughts, some reflections. Is there some things that you really wanted to come on here today to talk about that you haven't had a chance to yet? Um, yeah, I want to hand it over to you now. Okay, well, um, you know, really, I, I guess I was really keen to talk to you because as a fellow impact entrepreneur and, and, and looking at how do we actually protect our ocean, you know, knowing that our ocean plays a major role in climate regulation, uh, you know, we need to be implementing all the solutions we can. So, you know, seaweed is one of those opportunities that we've got here in Australia and and. We really want to see that embraced both by national and, and state governments um, as much as possible. This is a, a unique, I guess, and rare opportunity for us to both protect ocean health as well as um, to provide jobs into the future, particularly in regional areas where these things are going to be located, as well as, you know, the economic um, benefits from it as well so you know it's there aren't that many industries in Australia where we can say you know if we can grow this amount of seaweed we can offset our emissions by 10% this is a tangible real opportunity you know for us to act both on climate change on our food production system um, and on job creation and economic development so um, you know that I guess that's the really clear message that I want to communicate uh, out of the blueprint is that that this is a massive industry that we can create here in Australia that's only positive on all fronts. Um, yes, there's a lot of work to do. There's a there's a lot of R R and D work that we still need to do to actually make this um, to get this accelerated. But we've got people and and the entrepreneurs around Australia, you know, all fired up and ready to go and make this happen. So, you know, how can we make sure that we get as much support as possible just to really get this firing on all cylinders? Yep. And look, Ocean Impact Organisation is here to help in any way we can. Obviously, we're running the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest at the moment. Applications close on the 5th of October, but uh, we would love to see... Uh, innovations, established businesses that are working in this sector. If you think that you want to work in this sector in the future, then make sure you register your interest with us as well because we'll be running future programs and ideation and hackathons for this sector as well. So we're just very happy to be uh, alongside you, Joe, as you embark upon this incredible journey. And again, folks, it's a $3 million industry in what, 2016 or 2017? And it's projected to be 100 million by 2025 and potentially 1.5 billion by 2040. So there are opportunities in this space. Any closing words for you then, Joe? Yeah, there's massive opportunities in this space. And I think, you know, we need to work out how we can harness, uh, you know, I get emails from people all the time wondering how they can get involved in things. Um, and, and we need to work out how we can really create collaborations that are going to accelerate um, the growth here. So yeah, we're, I'd love to um, get involved in your, in your pitch fest and, and see as many seaweed initiatives come through that as possible because this is really going to be the key to growth of this sector. So thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks so much, Joe. Keep up the great work and we'll be in touch soon. See you, Tim. Nice work. We did it. Yay. <laughs> Good, good stuff. You were fantastic. Thanks. So are you. So many. Very, natural, um, very flowing interviewer. Oh, good. Thanks for saying that. You know, um, obviously the report is pretty chunky and it's a lot of sort of new stuff for me, but, um, you know, it was just, yeah, I think the report's fantastic. And I think my sort of style is to sort of you know, throw those questions out there and then let you do all the magic stuff. So I think you did really well. <laughs> Thanks. Good work. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. So, I. Uh